Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You are here in Season 5 of Wrestling at Random, where the theme is MORE CONTENT, ALL CAPS. So we've talked about in recent weeks, the randomizer has been filled to the brim. It is overflowing with all things wrestling, things you're familiar with, things you're not, from relatively recent times, from times way, way gone past. However, this week we cannot say is an obscure time period or promotion of professional wrestling. We are right in the middle of one of the hottest eras of the biggest wrestling promotion of all time. It is an episode of WWF Monday Night Raw from 1999. Yeah, we took all of the internet's wrestling content. We put it into the randomizer. You mentioned a lot of content. Over 19,000 entries of wrestling content into the randomizer. We fire it up every week. It picks a show at random. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of Raw in there because uh, (laughs) there's a lot of episodes of that show. And here we are reviewing an episode of Monday Night Raw, September 6th, 1999, Season 7, Episode 36, if you're watching on the Cock or the WWE Network. WWE, sorry, still WWF at this time. Uh, It is WWF Attitude Era banners all over the arena. We get the Raw is War opening, indoor pyro, and as and as the pyro wraps up, the lights come up and you see a billion signs in the crowd. I forget how popular signs were in the crowd during the Attitude Era. I feel like it was the the earliest expression of it's like if Twitter existed, this is what people would be tweeting back then. But instead, they held up signs. And there are probably more signs in the Hartford Civic Center here than there are entries in the randomizers you just described. It is ridiculous. Uh, the thing that that took me aback right away is they're showing the they're showing the the entranceway with all the pyro. They're showing all the signs, and then they show the ringside area. And it always throws me off that as far back as 1999, they had the modern barricades rather than the guardrails. That always feels like a a 2000s, late 2000s, certainly a WWE era thing. No, here in 1999, in the Attitude Era, they had the soft walls rather than the steel guardrails. We have... 11,511 people in a legit sold-out Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Let's take a beat here because we are in the Monday Night War still. What's going on over on Monday Night Nitro as a comparison? Uh, Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, reports Monday Nitro on this same night drew 3,800 paid fans 4,600 comps to the 16,000-seat Miami arena. Wait, so, <laughs> so they had 3,800 sold and paid. they had an additional 4,600 comps? Comps, correct. So like probably, what, maybe 40% at most of the people in the building paid. Correct, and wow. it was still, the attendance was still less than what they had in Hartford. They couldn't get the same amount for free in Miami. It is a fairly impressive comp operation, though, to get 4,800 people to go for free to a show. I mean, that that is something. It doesn't help the box office, but... Well, it wasn't just any Nitro. 
It was the fourth anniversary Nitro show. Wow, which I'm sure they really did up with a lot of big matches. Dave Meltzer says, quote, Suffice to say, it was one of the worst Nitros ever. <laughs> I guess they didn't do it up with a lot of big matches. <laughs> that settles the, that. The main event was an impromptu War Games match. And since they decided that week to do a War Games match, they were only allowed to use one ring for it because they had not two rings set up. I, it, that is one of those WCW memories that I completely blocked from my mind. And I now vividly remember the seething anger that I had. Like, I was first so excited, even though WCW was a mess by that point. Like, so excited that we're going to get a War Games on TV. And then the War Games is a single ring. Like, they're just like the lamest podunk indie. Hogan and Sting and Goldberg defeated Sid, Diamond Dallas Page, and Scott Steiner in four minutes and 24 seconds of a War Games match. So was it even War Games? Did they even do the, like, bringing guys in intervals and then the match beyond begins? The show went off the air with Sting and Luger fighting, which is somehow supposed to build to a Sting versus Hogan pay-per-view match six days later. So. Wow. WCW, that's what they were turning out this same night in 1999. Oh, so sad. Oh, one other note that made me giggle was uh, Violent J of the Insane Clown Posse is no longer allowed to do a moonsault after a request by Hugh Morris. (laughs) Wow, talk about some foreshadowing for the... uh, (laughs) Uh, the collegial or lack thereof nature of one Hugh Morris when he would uh, enter into the WWF slash WWE and become a trainer of sorts. The last bit of note on WCW is that Eric Bischoff would be fired the week after this show. Yikes. Back to WWF Raw this same night. It's JR and Jerry the King Lawler as your announced team. Lillian Garcia is your ring announcer. Oh, God. And lit, so what day did we say this show was? This show is September 6th of 99. She made her debut as a ring announcer August 23rd, 99. So she's two weeks into her ring announcing career. It shows. And she's horrible. She, this was real bad. It was the first thing I texted you. Before you had even had a chance to watch the show, I had watched it and I said, oh, my God. I do not remember Lillian Garcia being this bad. She is horrendous. I don't know if you have the ability to add this in so people can hear. I feel like people need to hear uh, one of these. I mean, the, the show starts and she's introducing The Rock, which should be it should be easy to do. It's The Rock. And it sounds as though they had just pulled a fan from the audience. It is shockingly terrible, particularly given... Uh, what the status uh, is of arguably the greatest ring announcer of all time, at least of the modern era, such as it was Howard Finkel and the role that they have him in uh, on WWF programming around this time. We'll, we'll get to that later. Well, Not good. Wow, did that not sound good. Uh, 
<laughs> and I immediately texted you back, wow, has she improved. <laughs> yes, yes. She had the lowest possible baseline to work from, and she did, in fact, become a competent ring announcer, if not necessarily uh, – it's not fair to ever hold anyone to the standards of Howard Finkel. But, yes, no. she did get better from her second or third weekend. That is, that is fair to say. You mentioned she announced The Rock. It's because the WWF Tag Team Champions are coming out. The Tag Team Championship is on the line here as the Tag Team Champions come out. It's The Rock and his partner, Mankind. They come out to separate entrances, but they are the WWF Tag Team Champions. These people are losing their minds for Rock and Mankind coming out. This is quite an atmosphere to start the show. This is a hot crowd. Well, Keep hot, that in mind as it rolls on. Hot crowd with mega stars. And again, contrast this with what you just described happening in the same night on WCW Monday Nitro on how the uh, the war, such as it was, had gone sideways so quickly for WCW uh, in favor of the WWF. I was too distracted, though, by the beautiful, old, what I think most people consider the like late 80s into the early 90s WWF Tag Team Championship belts, which you and Gorgeous. I had a chance to see. Uh, at a StarCast convention, see them up close and personal. It always surprises me when you see these belts that you associate with a particular time period and you see that they were around for longer than you remember. That was certainly my reaction here. Yeah, still here in 99 and, uh, yeah, looking great. The Rock does his shtick on the mic. He does his, finally, The Rock has come back to Hartford, cuts a promo on Kane, and then he lifts an eyebrow. And the place goes bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it's they, oh, go ahead. No, see, they go nuts. The one weird thing, though, and again, he still was like, as he would go through, he was workshopping things and trying different catchphrases or different deliveries. He ends this promo by doing the "If you smell what the rock is cooking," but he tries to stop and let the fans finish it, and they just don't. Like they're they not don't ready. Don't pick yet. up yeah. on the cue at all, and then so he just finishes it, and they go crazy. But, yeah, he's a different level of stardom than it's a very, very short list of people in the history of pro wrestling that have ever gotten the type of reactions in a, in a major building the way The Rock did here and each and every week during this part of his relatively brief run, when you think about it, uh, in the WWF. But that same run had not only The Rock, but you also had Stone Cold Steve Austin at the exact same time, and you want to know why WWF – easily overtook them to win the war the you had two uh, some companies never get an austin or a rock most and, don't most companies don't even get a guy that's as over as mankind was here much less i mean you had two once in a generation level baby faces and they were in the same promotion at the same time supported by a whole other cast of like you're still at that point you still got the mankind the undertaker who in most most promotions of territories, they would kill for those guys to be their top guys based on crowd reactions. Yeah, just unbelievable to think about. Uh, and they so they aren't referred to as the Rock and Sock connection yet. No. So that must not have uh, must not have happened yet in this timeline. Mankind gets the mic and he sends a get well to Brian. And the Brian he's referring to is thirty seven year old Brian Hildenbrand. And he's having a battle against stomach cancer at this time. Hildenbrand's name was mentioned on both Raw and Nitro on this night, as Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan also brought up his name, calling him by his wrestling stage name of Mark Curtis. 
and they talked about his fight uh, and talked about looking forward to him returning to Nitro as a referee. Uh, Foley, who uh, Mick Foley had wrestled on uh, September 5th in Syracuse, New York, flew all night after that show to go to Tennessee where Brian Hildenbrand lives so that he could visit him the next morning before flying back to Hartford for that night's Raw. The challengers for the Rock and Mankind's tag team titles are the team of Kane and X-Pac. You mentioned it before we started this podcast that uh, the randomizer has given us a lot of Kane over the years. <laughs> oh my God. We are like, you talked about someone needs to do the history of the Kane undertaker story. And I feel like in a haphazard darting around here and there sort of way, this podcast is on its way uh, to doing that. Uh, Kane and X-Pac are one of those teams, one of those stories that you kind of forget they were together, but they actually, they were tied together for a little while. And this is, you know, for Monday night raw, like this, this feels like a big match to start the show. You've got, Three of the biggest stars in the company, and then you've got X Pac, who is a you know a star in his own right as well. Tag titles on the line, which makes you think, okay, are we going to get a match here? Or this is 1999 WWF. All these stars at the start of the show. I'm smelling a match that's more of an angle than a competition. You are correct. Is X Pac is missing? Uh, he was referred to as a weak link earlier, and he's he's his feelings are hurt, and he did not come out. So instead, the WWF champion Triple H comes out before the match starts. Triple H is going to take the place of X-Pac and be Kane's partner. China comes out. She brings a sledgehammer out with her. And Kane is just taking on both Mankind and The Rock, refusing to tag Triple H into the match. We should mention also, as is the case a lot of times during these Attitude Era shows, while everyone rightfully talks about how hot the crowds are for the stars. It's a bit more nuanced than that. I've always talked about how, to me, like WWF is two things. It's an entrances promotion, and it's a signature moves promotion. And everything else is the fans just waiting for either of those two things to happen. And that's the case here. We've got all these stars going at it, and the crowd is dead silent during the action here in the first portion of this match. Yeah, Mankind hits the Lazy Man's pile driver, which always gets a pop from me. It's the Terry Funk pile driver, the opposite of a Lazy Man. Come on. The Rock is in. He gets a sucker punch in on Triple H, who's standing on the apron. Triple H then tags himself in. Kane is not happy about this. He clotheslines Triple H over the top rope to the floor. Triple H then hits Kane in the back with his sledgehammer. The Rock, with a rock bottom, hits the people's elbow and gets the pin. The Rock and Mankind are still tag team champions. Yes, we had some strategic ref incompetence that allowed that sledgehammer shot to the back uh, to occur. Uh, my notes just say, wow, that was lame. More of an angle than a match. I should have known what I was getting into here. Post-match, Kane tries to reach up and goozle uh, Triple H. So Triple H just killed him with a sledgehammer to the head. And then here come, and I have zero recollection of this at all, of these guys being a team. Here come Big Show and The Undertaker in jeans, walking out together slowly to help Kane, I guess. Were these guys the new skyscrapers and no one told me? This is so odd. 
Yeah, the big show, also known as Tall Paul White, he comes out with The Undertaker. And yeah, this is a American badass biker taker, and they chase off Triple H. A young Michael Cole is in the back. He's talking to Jacqueline. Jeff Jarrett forgot that uh, she used to fight women bigger and badder than Jeff Jarrett. She's going to slap three dumb blondes in one night. Now, this match is a non-title match. We go to the ring for the Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett. Accompanied by Miss Kitty, who's the wife of Jerry the King Lawler. That's what I was trying to remember. I, I, I was pretty sure that that's what it was, that she was Jerry's wife. Yeah, you'll remember her uh, famously being fired and Jerry yes. Lawler walking out and was replaced on commentary at the last minute by Paul Heyman, who was ECW's Paul Heyman at that time, uh, shocking the world uh, with on, on Raw. So uh, here, Jeff Jarrett usually is accompanied by Deborah McMichael, but uh, no Deborah this week. Uh, she's not in Hartford because she's with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Her and Austin were together at this point uh, in their careers, and uh, she was with him not at this show tonight. He's out with his neck injury. Um, So Jarrett cuts a promo on China because he's apparently facing her for the Intercontinental title at Unforgiven. Was that the whole deal where Jarrett like held them up to put? Uh, I believe put over- that is correct. That was the yes. first thing I thought of. Was is this the big what it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollar payout that he got to to show up and and do the job? So Jeff Jarrett is taking on Jacqueline here, and this is all Jarrett, and he is roughing up Jacqueline. This was hard to watch. He was really roughing her up and i'm sure jacqueline was like lay it in because lay it in of course she's she's a tough tough lady but my god no this was it was as if the uh uh the spirit of fit finley had jumped over from nitro and inhabited the body of jeff jarrett he brutalized jacqueline the lariat the clothesline at one point in this match was like stan hansen was in jeff jarrett's body this like you said was uncomfortable to watch which was the point uh, heading into the match with China. Uh, this is the first of uh, it's one of several things on this show that you could not get away with and probably shouldn't be able to get away with, you know, in modern times in pro wrestling. There's also some insults um, that are made both by The Rock and Jerry Lawler about Kane that are certainly not an insult that you could say on, on television in modern times. But yeah, this was uncomfortable. But honestly, if the idea is to build to the, the match with China, it was effective in in kind of getting across what Jeff Jarrett was willing to do in the ring against China. He wins with the figure four, and after the match, Jarrett hits Jackie with the guitar into the head. No powder in the guitar, so I give yeah. a thumbs up on the guitar breaking. Here. I was disappointed. I always like my guitar shots to look like uh, Art Bars, the juicer <laughs> character from WCW, was living inside of it. Terry Taylor is in the back. He's interviewing Val Venus. We see Steve Blackman attacking Venus in clips from SmackDown. SmackDown had just launched like a, a week or two earlier. So yeah, a lot of mul- SmackDown crossover and advertising here. Yeah, and multiple promos. Like when I say promos, I don't mean wrestlers cutting promos, but video promos like about the idea of SmackDown existing. Like it was that new that they needed to let people know that it was on. 
Uh, a lot of things on the show, like I said, that I don't have a recollection of uh, like happening in real time. Uh, one of which was, as you mentioned, Terry Taylor being one of the two backstage, backstage interviewers here on Raw, along with Michael Cole's highlights, as you mentioned earlier. Edge and Christian come out to the ring. They come in through the crowd. Their opponents are the Acolytes, the team of Bradshaw and Farouk. The winners of this match will be the number one contenders for the tag team titles. And these are the relatively early days uh, of these two teams in WWE in that this is still the Acolytes. They're not yet known as the APA. Uh, it's sort of that weird transitional time tour. I don't think The Undertaker was still doing the whole... No, no. They're between Ministry of Darkness yes. and Acolyte Protection Agency. Exactly. They're right in between they're, there. They're, they're out of the Ministry of Darkness, but they still are calling themselves Acolytes. Uh, and they've got like symbols painted on their chests. It's just a weird look, particularly for Ron Simmons. It just doesn't... I don't know. It just doesn't really land right now. Clearly, they're kind of trying to figure out the next best thing for them. Meanwhile, it's Edge and Christian... Uh, but without, they've just recently, I believe, left. Uh, they left the brood. They're on their own. Rel because we'll see the new brood later on. Not to be confused with the new breed, which, man, that would be would have been interesting to see them here on Raw in 1999. Just a year or so before they were to have traveled back from the year 2000 to uh, mid-80s NWA. It's crazy that Edge and Christian are still active wrestlers in 2023. It's, and I'm watching them here in 1999. Absolutely nuts. It's wild. It's also wild just to see here, like, they're just guys here. Like, they're not, Edge and Christian are not over as stars at all, even though they, they would be shortly. Uh, no, they did have a cool, unique entrance. Yes, they, coming through but, the crowd. Uh, and they looked like you would think of them as looking, but they really were not, they were not over as big stars. To me, the story of this match is it's two really good teams that were told, like, you've got three minutes, and they went 100 miles an hour. This was short, but what we got of it was great. Yeah, Edge and Christian running wild, a bunch of double-team moves. Edge and Farouk are on the outside. Bradshaw kills Christian with a powerbomb. He goes for it again, but Edge hits a top-rope dropkick. Christian rolls through, rolling up Bradshaw, and they get the pin uh, we're told it's an upset, and Edge and Christian are the new number one contenders. Yeah, so this this ostensibly was one of their biggest wins, if not their biggest win yet as a tag team. Really, really good stuff. Um, that it was, <laughs> you always sort of, at least when I watch these shows where you know this is the era where Vince McMahon is screaming in the ears of the announcers, and you're always on the lookout for what are things the announcers are saying that are clearly vince channeled like it's vince's words being spoken by someone else uh jim ross is talking about bradshaw's football background and jerry lawler just out of nowhere screams stop with the football crap and you know those exact words were yelled into (laughs) jerry lawler's ears milliseconds before he yelled them out uh across the microphone michael cole interviews edge and christian in the back the Acolytes start heading towards them, but they get cut off by the Dudley boys who have a an attack from behind with trash cans on the Acolytes. Yeah, the Dudleys had just jumped uh, from ECW to the WWF just like the week prior, several days prior on SmackDown as their first appearance. We'll see it later on. It was very jarring if you were a hardcore ECW fan and had seen the evolution of Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley in ECW. Because here in the WWF, while they, you know, they're wearing the tie-dye stuff, 
they went back to uh, Bubba having the like horrible Southern accent and doing the stuttering gimmick. Uh, it, it was kind of a weird thing if you were watching ECW at the time. The weird things roll on as we get GTV. It's a hidden camera in the bathroom. Val Venus and the Big Show are at the urinals. Val looks over and says, they call you the Big Show, and he chuckles, and Big Show attacks Val Venus. GTV then, we're told, caught meat Sean Stasiak kissing Chaz's girlfriend, Marianne. And Chaz is the former one half of the Headbangers. Who he's the mosh half of the Headbangers, not Thrasher. He was mosh. Was he? Did he also have that horrible beaver he cleavage was, gimmick? Because this Mariana was the, with her. That yes. was then they they yeah. There's it, it is incredible how many terrible mid card gimmicks there were in the Attitude Era that just didn't play, just didn't catch. One of which, like you're saying, like we'll describe here is meet as he uh he sheds this gimmick here in this promo yeah he says that he's uh, uh sean stasiak and his dad was stan the man stasiak former wwf champion Master he's interrupted the hard punch one of the great the hard uh, punch great moves of years gone by he's interrupted by the mean street posse and they attack sean stasiak the mean street posse Never doesn't make me laugh because it's like it's supposed to be Shane McMahon's rich Connecticut friends and they're all wearing like sweater vests and khakis and and their hair is horrendous and it it, it never doesn't make me laugh when the Mean Street Posse and then I laugh even louder when I hear their theme music later. It's it, they're, they're, well, they'll they, be back later. They fancy themselves as a gang, but they obviously are not. And in some ways, to me. As much as the Mean Street Posse worked in 1999, that those characters, that idea with the right guy, like say an MJF in 2023, sure. would work even better than it did in 1999. I also, though, I felt bad though here as I'm watching Sean Stasiak, like the meat gimmick was such a dead end thing to begin with, and then he, he's just Sean Stasiak, and then he gets laid out by. Uh, what in kayfabe are the most pathetic guys on the roster. They totally lay this guy out. He's just a total zero, even less than he was before. Then Val Venus comes to the ring. Babyface, right? Babyface, apparently Val Venus. He calls Paul White out. And this is where I, I, I have to reckon with the, with the idea that Val Venus has multiple feuds happening at the same time here on Monday Night Raw. That just does not seem right. Yeah, show and Taker in the back, and Taker's like, you got to go out there. And so the big show comes out. He has to duck coming out of the entranceway, which I thought was a cool little visual touch. I thought that was neat. Show gets in the ring. Babyface Val Venus calls out the big show. The big show comes out and kicks his ass and wins quickly with a choke slam. Val Venus is the... Apologies to Sean Stasiak. Val Venus is the biggest geek on this show. The one thing for better or worse that the WWF did was that they did not screw around with letting you know who the stars were and who the stars weren't. And it sucked for the guys that weren't stars. The guys that were stars, it was very valuable, I guess, in in driving that home. I was so distracted, though, by Val Venus's thick white socks 
sticking out of his boots. They looked like leg warmers. I could see nothing else in this match, of which I guess I didn't miss much. You mentioned he's got multiple feuds. Steve Blackman's out, and he attacks Val Venus after the match with a kendo stick. Terry Taylor is interviewing the Dudley boys in the back. What a fascinating sentence that is, by the way. <laughs> Terry Taylor is interviewing the Dudleys on WWF Monday Night Raw, a mad lib of sorts. Yeah, Bubba Ray, you mentioned he's doing the stuttering gimmick. He's, it's the old ECW gimmick here, and then they're immediately attacked by the Acolytes. Yeah, so we have Jerry Lawler doing the whole extremely crappy wrestling thing because, you know, mm. again, Vince would bring in these guys from ECW because he saw some value in them, but every single one of those guys when they were brought in, the fans had to have it beat into their heads that these guys aren't from here and they're lesser than. No, and we're still, you know, we're many months away from the WrestleMania tables, ladders, and chairs that put Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, and the Hardys on the map here. Exactly. That made them, particularly made the Dudleys, full-fledged WWF guys in Vince's eyes at that point. Howard Finkel, who we mentioned, the incredible legendary ring announcer, he comes out to interrupt Lillian Garcia. Finkel says he's the best. Tell me when he's telling lies, Adam. I was going to say, the uh, the lie detector is, uh, is not going off here at all. Howard Finkel is, uh, talk about a pipe bomb here. He's, he's uh, he, uh, he tells Lillian to take a seat, watch what I do, uh, you aren't in my league, and I'm just in my notes, just check mark, check mark, yep. check mark. Now Howard Finkel then looks at his card. He looks at his notes for who's coming out next, and he says, uh-oh. And here comes Ken Shamrock, who is pre-snap. He already snapped in the locker room. It didn't take any action in the ring. He comes running out to chase Howard Finkel around the ring. He catches the Fink, but the lights go out. And who shows up on screen but Chris Jericho. And this is where I remember that Howard Finkel was the, at this point, the personal ring announcer slash WWF Ralphus for Chris Jericho, I guess. Uh, yes. In 99. Which is immediately the gimmick I would have done as well is uh, say, <laughs> you're my ring announcer, Howard Finkel. Yes. What a you great idea. Jericho, you're gonna, I'm going to pick the best ring announcer of all time. And I'm just going to grab him. Can you make him mine? No. Brilliant move by Jericho. Uh, Jericho doesn't come out. He does his promo from the locker room on SmackDown. He says they'll have a face-to-face confrontation. Was it going to? Well, he also is, he has a great line here. Uh, he looks so young, by the way, but he tells Ken Shamrock, this is not a fabricated sport like UFC. This is sports <laughs> entertainment. This is real. Tremendous. Um, there's a uh, Brian Gewertz in his book. He was the head writer of Raw. In his book, he talks about writing for the Howard Finkel heel character in, that he ended up doing in 2002. And it is a very funny story and and how he got into it and then how he had to get himself out of it because uh, you just couldn't do a heel Howard Finkel character in 2002. The WWF champion Triple H with China comes out. We should note this is the second Triple H appearance. This is the second ring entrance for Triple H on this show. It will not be the last. No, he's doing a promo. He's got something to say. He tells Linda McMahon to keep her ass out of his business. Keyword, ass. Because Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn, comes out with his horrible song, the Ass Man song. Oh, God. 
This song is terrible. This is one of the many attempts at making Billy Gunn single star a thing in the WWF. It never took. Uh, before we even get there, though, I was really distracted by how oddly tr- like high-pitched Triple H's voice was here. He was like trying to do the growl, but he still had the the higher pitch kind of whiny sounding voice of the Hunter Hearst Helmsley character without the accent. It just felt like he was caught in between. It really, uh, I don't know. It didn't land for me. Maybe it was also just the existential dread of seeing the Monday Night Raw set, Triple H coming out and having a microphone in your hand and knowing that like, oh God, okay, it's going to be 20 minutes before we move on to something else. Yeah, he Billy calls him an asshole, says he will defend the title against Triple H says he will defend the title against Mr. Ass. Maybe tonight? We don't know when. Maybe SmackDown? I don't know. There's also a very rare WWF production error as Billy Gunn finishes what he's saying. He says, "Oh, uh, yeah. Not only are you an ass, you're an asshole." And then all of a sudden his Hit horrible the music. theme song hits. But the segment isn't supposed to end right there. Uh, we still have to have Triple H say that he's going to give Billy a chance at the WWF title. That happens, and then they again play this horrible theme song. It just stuck out to me because that's the type of stuff that was far more common in WCW. You really never got gaffes like that from a production standpoint in the WWF at that time. Now hit a hilarious theme song. It's the Mean Street Posse coming out. For some reason, they're with Terry Runnels because every time we see Terry Runnels when we review one of these episodes, we're like, I don't remember her managing that team. Yes, and of course, always there like she that. is. Again. It's always like that. Well, and here's another the example. Hardys, and then we saw her yeah. managing like the Radicals, which I, I had <laughs> forgotten about. Uh, really, the only thing I, I will never forget about is the York Foundation, Sky Point, um, for all of you who are not watching on YouTube, as you should, in addition to listening to the podcast. But yeah, the, the the Mean Street Posse is like a public domain version of the Cops theme song, basically. Oh it's my like gosh, it is. They got the guy who did DDP's WCW entrance music, and he did this Cops knockoff. It is tremendous, and it's uh, the Mean Street Posse are Joey Abs, who's the only like real wrestler in the group, the only trained wrestler in the group. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, and I guess by comparison, yeah. Yes, and then. His he, his partners are Pete Gass and all Rodney. All-time great wrestling names. Joey Abs, Pete Gass, and then for whatever reason, the third guy does not have a last name. He's just Rodney. Amazing. Yeah, Rodney and I had the he he has the same hair that I had my sophomore year of high school. Rodney and I did. So you had a you had a deep spiritual connection to Rodney. So their opponents are the team of Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. Yes, that Gerald Briscoe and that Pat Patterson. The uh, the Stooges come out, and they come out to Hulk Hogan's Real American theme song. Which is, and, it's, A, it's hilarious in a vacuum, and then B, knowing that Hogan was wrestling on the other channel probably at the same time, made this even more of a direct jab. At, so uh, funny. Patterson comes out. He's ripping the shirt off, doing the whole entrance, and then it's a three-on-two attack outside the ring. I'm like, who's their who's their partner? And uh, Test comes out to finally make the save. And my God, he he got a shockingly big ovation. 
He did. I feel like part of what you're thinking is the big ovation was how much Jim Ross was screaming about how big the ovation was. Because to me, this seemed at least somewhat mild compared to Jim Ross screaming about this. Because again, remember, we heard The Rock get a Correct. real ovation <laughs> Correct. earlier. And then Jim Ross is screaming about this like it's The Rock running and make the save. And it like he got a nice mid-card pop, but it was not like they were they were trying to make you think this guy was like the next megastar. No, but it was also compared to uh, how dead the crowd was for that previous promo, that Triple H uh, Billy Gunn promo yeah. too. And then they were dead for the posse coming out and for Briscoe and Patterson. So they were finally, they had something to cheer for. Uh, and yeah, Jim Ross did try to take it uh, a, a couple notches higher than it deserved to be for sure. Test definitely more over than single star Billy Gunn. I will grant you that 100%. Very much so. Uh, this is before his fans were referred to as the testicles. You can, uh, Listen to our review of the Survivor Series and uh, any other broadcast from uh, uh, the the early 2000s uh, that we reviewed here in the back catalog of this podcast. The entire back catalog, great stuff, evergreen content. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's new to you. Go uh, dig in through the archives. If you're while you're waiting for another show to come out, dig into the archives. Great, great stuff there, especially from this time period. Uh, so test runs wild on the posse and. Stasiak comes out to to prevent Rodney from trying to escape, throws him back in the ring. Test then tries to do his like pump handle slam, but Rodney can't cannot figure out how to go up for this. Test had to brute force him up. Test murders Rodney with a power bomb. I thought he was gonna cripple him. Rodney did not know how to take this power no. bomb at all. And then Test hits a flying elbow to get the pin. Terrifying. Elbow, top rope elbow dropped three quarters of the way across the ring. That was very impressive. Uh, Tess, however, he is not the master of the meltdown like Wrath was. Uh, no, uh, no, Brian Clark here. Uh, but yes, uh, Tess. Yeah, like he was, he was more over than your other mid carters. He was also, if you forget, Jim Ross reminds you he is at this point in time Stephanie McMahon's fiance prior to. Uh, uh, that whole story with Triple H and Stephanie becoming married in kayfabe and then that becoming real life. A little time capsule here. Hardcore Holly comes out with his cousin Crash Holly, who's carrying a big scale. Their opponents, Matt and Jeff, the Hardys, but they're called the New Brood. They're with Gangrel. Here's a point in time i forgot about yes. that uh, the hardy boys were part of the brood they had a goth phase a very short period of time i don't i can't remember if that was longer or shorter than them being managed michael by michael hayes. hayes which is just so notable for michael hayes dressing like the hardys still do now in like 1998 the hardys attack Hardcore, well, hardcore Holly and, and Crash make them weigh in because they don't want to. They want to face heavyweights, so they they make sure that they weigh over two hundred pounds. They're making a bunch of weight jokes, uh, crack at Gangrel, and then the Hardys just attack them. And somehow, hardcore Holly wins with a vertical suplex into a slam, and I was not expecting that whatsoever. Yeah, hardcore hits a, a Falcon Arrow of sorts out of nowhere onto Matt Hardy for the pin. Uh, we did have a, a huge poetry in motion, an insane swanton bomb from Jeff Hardy. It's this crazy slingshot Arabian press, but 
But again, they're not really over at this point, so it doesn't get much of a reaction. And it's so weird to see Jeff Hardy looking like Jeff Hardy, doing Jeff Hardy things to a largely silent crowd. They fight after the match. The lights go out, and Crash Holly gets covered in blood. He got a blood bath, and uh, Hardcore makes fun of him. The cousins end up fighting it out. Taker and the Big Show are in the back. They say they want a rematch against The Rock and Mankind for the tag team titles, but not just any regular match. They want a buried alive match for the tag team titles. And then uh, the Big Show makes some barely audible joke about it being a burrowed alive match. I I don't. This whole Taker show thing is not working at all. It's one of those things that looks good on paper, maybe, but in in execution, uh, I I can see why this was relatively short-lived. Here's something that had to look terrible on paper, and I don't know why it was on this show at all, but Al Snow comes out dressed in his old avatar character with the mask and the, uh, as he calls it, the genie pants. Yes, and if you've never seen the Al Snow avatar character visually, it's a complete ripoff of Hayabusa right down to the mask. We're told that last Thursday the big boss man served Al Snow his dog, and so Al Snow ate his dog, and it was a horrible angle. Meaning his own dog. Yes. Yes, this was terrible. Snow, uh, it, it led to a terrible uh, Hell in a Cell match with dogs, and it was yeah, yeah the kennel from Hell match. This is during awful. that time period of just increasingly insane stories and moments with the uh, the Big Boss Man. This is also around the time period where he uh, crashed the funeral of the Big Show, and he's like riding the casket around, and this whole craziness. This is really, really, really bad stuff. So Al Snow starts cutting a promo, and then he snaps out of it. He starts freaking out, has a breakdown about uh, uh, this in the ring, and it's uh, it, it's all real bad. This is real bad stuff. This is well, not then good. He starts barking outside of the ring, I guess, because he ate the dog, so now he barks. This is awful, uh, again, for all the... Uh, the uh, rose-colored glasses of some of the great stuff of the Attitude Era, particularly how over-the-top stars were, there is a lot of stuff that was barely watchable then that is completely unwatchable through modern eyes. You can't bookend something so bad with something as great as the Rocket Mankind coming back on TV. They're here to accept the challenge. We get the full classic rock promo, and then Mankind gets to cut a promo. And it was awesome. <laughs> Mankind's it was, great. It was great. It's just awesome and impassioned. Very short, but impassioned promo, accepting the match. I'm all of a sudden so much more excited about that buried alive tag team match than I was uh, when we had the taker or when we had Taker and the big show talking about it a few uh few minutes earlier. We then go to more GTV with some woman on a payphone. It's Marianne. This is the before this is Marianne. She's on the phone. She's upset because her boyfriend won't answer her calls. Yes, uh, this is very now, relevant to professional wrestling. Her boyfriend won't answer her calls. She was, he won't answer her calls because she was, as we were told, making out with Sean Stasiak and was caught making out with Sean Stasiak. So I am so invested in these stories, Jeremy. GTV, which uh, 
was supposed to be something for gold dust, but yes. never went anywhere. It just, yeah, it just, it was around for a while. It never actually got to the point of what it was going to be. Uh, instead, we go back to the ring. D'Lo Brown comes out. And as this is happening, Jim Ross is teasing a huge announcement about the World Wrestling Federation in New York. It will be announced soon on WWF.com. And this has to be the announcement of WWF New York, the restaurant. The restaurant, yes. In the era of everything's a theme restaurant, WWF got one in Times Square. Yes, this was your Hard Rock Cafe, your Rainforest Cafe, your Planet Hollywood. It was the wrestling version of that. Uh, It burned bright. It did not burn long. But, man, some of those uh, pay-per-view shots where they'd go to WWF New York and they were Hundreds of people over the fire code seemingly packed in to be there on camera for those shows. Uh, another sort of moment in time. It was never quite the same when they cut to the Nitro Grill on WCW. No, no. Um, I, I was personally hoping for a comeback for Pasta Mania myself. But... <laughs> D'Lo Brown is in the ring to take on the Lethal Weapon, as it was announced by Lillian Garcia. The Lethal Weapon, Steve Black man. Yes, she literally said the lethal <laughs> weapon, Steve Black man. <laughs> like, you have never just seen someone reading words and having no idea what they mean uh, more than Lillian was here. Again, she got better, obviously, as time went on, but man, there was a lot of room for improvement here in September of 1990. This, yeah, this is the floor. Uh, yeah. It is European. Amazing. European champion sexual chocolate Mark Henry comes out. And you want to talk about one of the greatest all-time theme songs. Yes. It's uh, it's the sexual chocolate theme song here. By far the greatest part of uh, the entire wrestling career of uh, Mark Henry. Other than that retirement angle he did uh, on Amazing. SmackDown, which was one of the best modern angles. Like, so weird that that of all things was as great as it was. But it was incredible. Whatever. It was like 2005, 2006. Maybe later. I don't know. It was, it was awesome, though. Henry's out to do commentary. Venus hits Blackman with a kendo stick and steals Blackman's bag of weapons. This is the third, the third segment on this show that has involved Val Venus. When like people say, oh man, one of the things that modern wrestling shows need more of is, you know, storylines that weave their way in and out of a show, like through one episode. Yes, but they don't need Val Venus in three segments. Let's be more judicious here, people. Or Steve Blackman, please. No, no or D'Lo, me for that matter. <laughs> D'Lo hits the low-down frog splash for the pin. Henry attacks D'Lo after the match to set up their European title match at the pay-per-view. Quite the progression for D'Lo Brown here. You think about uh, that recent episode, if you're listening in linear fashion, a TNA weekly pay-per-view where D'Lo Brown had left the WWF fed up with the spot in the company uh, and tried to make himself a star as much as he could in the Nashville Fairgrounds. Here he is in 1999, uh, firmly planted in the mid-card. Yeah, if you skipped that episode because you're like, ah, I don't, I don't know TNA, I don't like TNA, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to an Impact review. Wrong answer. Go back right now and listen to that. Listen to us talk about. You want to talk about a guy who. Had a lot of segments on a show. Yes. Jeff Jarrett, Eric Watts, and D'Lo Brown, if that's not Twice. a hard sell for you. Twice as many segments as Val Venus had here <laughs> on the show, if you can believe it. Back to this show. Terry Taylor is interviewing Ivory about being in the first ever women's world title hardcore match. 
Tory then shows not Tory Wilson, but other Tory. Teens Tory. Um what 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 was her name in uh in All Japan Women? Uh ter- Terry Power. Terry Power. Oh god, Terry Power who didn't we see her uh <laughs> self-eliminate from a battle royal? <laughs> self-eliminate on a horrendous dive attempt from a battle royal on an All Japan Women's show over at I believe on the bonus feed or maybe that was there in the free feed. Um but yeah, she uh talk about wow, spanning the uh, uh the genres of professional wrestling going from All Japan Women to Whatever the hell this was that was about to be in front of her eyes here on this show. Tori has no pants on, just a thong. And a button-up and, shirt. And she uh, she attacks Ivory. She's the challenger. Ivory's the champion. We saw Ivory also earlier in this season of the podcast, if you're listening in linear fashion, episode one of this season, Glow, when we talked about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Ivory. Was, was it, was was it a, Tina Ferrari? Tina Ferrari. That is correct. Here she is, the WWF champion. And, uh, yeah, they fight all over the place. It is, um, they fight into the shower so that uh, the women can uh, can be half naked and wet. And they fight in the bathroom. Ivory smashes a mirror over Tori's head to get the pin in the back. Ivory wins. This was horrible. It was terrible. By, to me, like, you talk about, like, like weapons, you know, death matches of the glass and tacks and barbed wire. The most violent thing to me on this show and the thing I don't want to ever have happen to me, it's the shampoo and the soap in the eyes. Oh, oh brutal. brutal. Absolutely brutal. That pain will last longer than a thumbtack or two in the back. Um, I, I imagine that I can't imagine a Venn diagram of things Jim Ross enjoys more than these two wrestling in the shower and there being a leg hooked on a near fall uh, after the match ivory put a hot iron onto the back of of tory we got a terrible sound effect for that burning as well yeah it felt like it was the distant cousin of the shock stick sound effect yes from the mountie back in the day or what was that one show we watched where they clearly had, had added post-production uh, post-production sound effects when guys got posted on the floor? It's one of the oh, WWF tapes. Yeah, That's like, a, like, a, like, a, like a bong sound every yeah, time they hit like, the thing. Yeah. Looking like for Adam West playing Batman. Referee Earl Hebner tells China that she's banned from ringside for the main event. The main event is the WWF Championship on the line. The challenger. Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn, challenging the World Wrestling Federation champion, Triple H. Before that, though, we had Kane sitting in a dark corner backstage, and I got flashbacks to that show-long storyline that we uh, uh, we reviewed with over Paul on the Bear. bonus feed with Paul Bear being taken hostage by Edge and Kane trying to act and show the range of emotion uh, sitting in a dark corner. This, uh, thankfully, was more brief than that. Then, yeah, we go to the ring, and it's the third Triple H entrance of this show. Yeah, all Mr. Ass early. They fight to the outside where Mr. Ass gets sent face first into the ring post. Triple H goes to work, and this got real slow and boring real fast. Oh, my God. It got real slow and boring real fast. Triple H doing arm work with the most just generic holds with no intensity. There was no reaction to any no, of this. He Billy got no reaction open. coming out. He got no reaction on the jump start. He had no reaction on offense. There was no one clamoring for him to come back. 
he finally does make the comeback, which no one is reacting to. He hits the jackhammer, which is uh, amusing in 1999 to see Billy Gunn hit a jackhammer on Raw. This is supposed to be a big near fall. No reaction to this. Zero people believe it. Zero people believe that's that. Exactly was a what my notes say too. No one in this crowd believes there's going to be a title change here. All of a sudden, Shane McMahon appears on the ramp, and the crowd wakes up because they're seeing a star, and we're not just seeing wrestling, but something storyline-wise is going to happen. Yeah, Shane McMahon comes out, Mister Ass clotheslines Triple H over the top to the floor. The referee is trying to put Shane out, and Triple H misses a belt shot on Mister Ass. Mr. S hits Triple H with the belt, and he gets a long two count, and the crowd actually bought this as a near fall because it was such a common finish at that yes. point in time to win with a belt shot. Yes, and Billy got, not only did he get the long two count near fall, he had a long visual pin prior to the painfully slow ref bumped Earl Hebner crawling uh, count, as we always see. Jim Ross is like having a coronary. He's losing his mind. Yeah, after that famous or... Mr. Ass got the visual pin on Triple H. It's a second visual pin. He had it off the belt shot. And then again here, the idea that they gave Billy Gunn this much in this match against Triple H. Trying to make a star. They were trying, even though he was getting zero reaction. They, they, uh, They made sure that you, if you're watching, knew that if it was a fair fight, Billy Gunn would be the WWF champion. Mr. Ass down on the mat. Triple H comes off the top with a flying something, but Mr. Ass got the boot up. It's the Arn Anderson spot. Uh, there are very few things that I would say Triple H as an in-ring performer did as well as Arn Anderson, but I love the tribute to Arn when he would do that. He'd come off the middle rope, like holding his arms up like an axe handle, but the opponent is on his back on the mat. Uh, what are you going to hit from that? And, yeah, the foot comes up. The same thing happens here uh, to Triple H. Uh, ridiculous but enjoyable spot. Mr. Ass goes for a stinger splash, but he hits the post, turns around, gets hit with a pedigree by Triple H for the pin, still the champion, Triple H. At this point, Kane comes out. He attacks Triple H. Shane, he chokeslams China. Kane then chokeslams Triple H. And Shane is left all alone with Kane. He gets chokeslammed as the show goes off the air with Kane standing tall. Raw was preempted in the East Coast for USA Network showing U.S. Open tennis coverage. Yes, that would happen. That's Everyone always uh, sort of associates the, the Raw preemptions with the... Uh, the dog show. The dog show, but it would also get preempted a couple times from the during the fortnight of the U.S. Open. So Raw on the East Coast aired from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Wow. In the Eastern time zone, okay? But they still beat the rating of Nitro. In the Nitro was unopposed in its regular time slot. So Raw did a 4.38 rating with an 11 share. They had a 15 share for the Triple H Billy Gunn main event. Wow. 15% of all televisions were on for Triple H and Billy Gunn. So the people at home cared even though the people in the building didn't. Nitro unopposed in its regular time slot did a 4.12 rating and a 6.5 share 6.5 share i don't know if there's anything that that would tell everyone involved more that the wrestling war is over than that 
that a trip that a Billy Gunn main event that and the East Coast didn't go in the ring till twelve forty five a.m. doubled the show. Doubled what Nitro did unopposed for its fourth anniversary show. Like just put the shovel on the war. Like it's done. It's over. Favorite thing on this show for you? Oh man, I mean, I would say I mean. Promo wise, the uh, I really like the uh, the short backstage mankind promo, building, uh, making me care about a buried alive match with that weird lame Undertaker Big Show team, in ring without a doubt for me. Even though they got so little time, it was the acolytes and the Hardys. It couldn't have been more than three minutes. Edge and Christian, or yeah, the Edge and Christian, correct. They went uh, maybe three minutes. They went so hard, so fast. Everything looked great. It was intense. Um, yeah, that was definitely better than the uh, the Hardys against uh, the Hollies. Yeah, I will I will agree on both those. Although I do want to say that you know that that mankind promo was great, but the the Rock also did a great job. Uh, yes. This was you know you 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 hadn't seen these Rock promos for as many years as you've seen them at this point. So uh, at at that point with mankind's intensity and and the rock's goofiness this is a great dynamic and it, it just anytime they were on screen they were just an amazing team together so uh, i yeah, also but, I, you have to keep in mind with me that like i hated the rock back then i was not a rock fan um i'll never be as big of a rock fan as a lot of people were but it took me a long time to stubbornly acknowledge the greatness of the rock and so i still i think have some of that built up but also like <laughs> you said like you just sort of become numb to like this was just the level of promo he was cutting every week yes you know if you're watching it weekly it probably didn't stand out as much as like you said kind of parachuting in. it's like oh my god this guy was just you know on another level than everyone else worst thing on this show a lot to choose from oh some of the gtv segments gtv is awful what an awful idea and awful execution well and it's also the idea is awful the execution is awful and because Almost everyone involved in it was just complete, like borderline jobber status. That when you had someone like the Big Show in that stupid GTV segment with with Val Venus, it immediately makes him feel so much lower of a level than he really was on the cards. So yeah, that was uh, that was bad. Obviously, the uh, the Tory Ivory uh, hardcore women's title match was. Uh, was not great. I would say, though, for me, as someone who is a hardcore ECW fan, my least favorite thing on this show was Bubba Ray Dudley going back to the stuttering gimmick. I just remember, again, like, as a kid, like, you get mad about the dumbest things. I was so angry about that because I was so hardcore into ECW. And I was like, how, how can I believe this, that he's going back to that game? Yeah, I, for me, it's the, the women's hardcore match was, uh, you know, it, it, it was lame. Uh, I did not... Uh, it, yeah otherwise uh too much val venus for yes, me on this show yes. uh i didn't need that many segments of a feud between val venus and steve black man that have no stakes uh the why did that need to be the through line for the entire show did not need that either and so, obviously but gtv the wor- is the correct answer but honorable mention to the others uh, i feel like we're ignoring the real correct answer which is lillian garcia's ring announcing <sighs> also absolutely horrendous but uh yeah this was uh you know it's always fun to parachute into this uh point in time it was such a once in a lifetime moment in time where you know so many 
it's the pendulum swinging to the extreme of the other side because it had been, you know, the rubber band had been wound so tight uh, on the side of goofiness, kid-friendly characters, everybody's got a job, and it's it snapped, pendulum swung the other way, and you got the Attitude Era. And as a longtime fan, pent up, you wanted to see this kind of stuff, and you wanted to see, you know, as a, someone flipping back and forth between Nitro and uh, and Raw, the the something's happening in every segment at all times, and yeah. nothing has room to breathe. Was a uh, a real uh, it was a real moment in time that'll never be recreated. And so it's 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 neat to parachute in and see just how how much wrestling was trying to change, trying to be different, and and was like you said at the end of the war, definitely putting yeah. the the final shovels on the uh, the Monday Night War. Well, also how every time that anyone tried to recreate this style of wrestling television, it failed miserably. Mostly because what made it work was having the big stars like a Rock and an Austin and an Undertaker uh, and a Mankind, and that being the focal point, and then the ridiculousness of the undercard sort of was just kind of a distraction. Whereas when that's the whole thing, it doesn't work. But I agree. Like to me, just pair whatever, whatever the time period is, whether it's like, you know, like world-class in 83 or 84, or, you know, the peak of Memphis or parachuting into, uh, you know, when the NWO was first getting going and so hot um, in WCW or like 95 ECW, uh, parachuting into those turning points and or really, really, really white hot periods for wrestling territory. It's always uh, it's always a kick to see that and just see, A, like what was working and then how many things that would not have worked otherwise just got swept up in the tide of the big stuff working. And so it was over, even though it maybe shouldn't have been or wouldn't be in another era. And we mentioned a few times that there's uh, bonus content, there's extra shows we've done. You can access all of the over 140 probably episodes now at the time you're listening to this, if not more, over in the bonus feed. All you got to do is go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There you sign up for five bucks. It unlocks the entire back catalog, all 140 extra episodes besides everything that's already in the free feed that's all evergreen content for you to listen to. You can go back, listen to all the episodes there, listen to all the episodes in the bonus feed. You never have to be waiting for another episode. You can go find your favorite shows that we've reviewed. Uh, You can also be the randomizer and uh, put in an intentionalized pick, also an option over on the Patreon. You can uh, listen to the Patreon podcast via Spotify, if you go to our Wrestling at Random feed, there's a button right there. It'll take you to uh, to your Patreon. You can log in and uh, get all of your bonus content right there if, if Spotify is your podcatcher of choice. If Apple Podcasts is your podcatcher of choice, you just got to hit the subscribe button right there. It'll unlock all the bonus content right in the feed you're listening to this podcast in right now. So it'll unlock all those ones that are marked as bonus so that's that all happens with just five bucks. So it's a real easy way to support the show. If you can't support the show financially in these times, we understand that as well. Wrestling fans know other wrestling fans. So please tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. Show them how to subscribe to the podcast so that they get the uh, the, the free episodes that come out every single week. Uh, show them how to subscribe to the podcast and let them know that all this is evergreen content. Don't be upset that you missed an episode. They're all back there. You can listen to them all right now. Wrestling at random.com has all of the social media 
all of the links, all of the entire back catalog for this podcast. Uh, at Wrestle at Random is where you can find us on all the social platforms. That's where we'll tell you what's coming up on next week's show uh, and what's coming up in the bonus feed as well. So make sure you're following us wherever you get your social media content. Again, all the links I described, everything is there at wrestlingatrandom.com. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you, Jeremy. This was, like I said, it was a fun uh, fun delve back into a just an insane era of pro wrestling where it's one of those few times where wrestling transcended wrestling into the pop culture. Uh, so it's always wild to look back on that. Some good stuff, some bad stuff. It was 1999 WWF in a nutshell. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.